This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. Chris Nee is across from me, or I guess next to me, how you're looking at the at the computer screen. And if you're listening to us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, thank you. This is On the Bench. Welcome, Christopher. Uh, we've had a few days to digest the Notre Dame game. And we're going to preview Jacksonville State, but really what I kind of want to do is go more big picture, what we took away from the season opener and how we're feeling about the team and, and kind of how FSU builds on it from there. So with that in mind, uh, now that you've let it digest and simmer for a few days, what is your outlook on this team? Did it change drastically from that one game sample size? I wouldn't say my record projection has changed drastically. I'm not ready to move really any which way with that, but I feel better about them. You know, I went in that game with concerns about physicality just because of how preseason is structured. I thought FSU was very good at being physical, flying to the ball, being aggressive, finishing plays as an offense. All those things were big positives for me. Fundamentally speaking, much better football team than we've seen in a few years. Uh, we've talked about the belief that we see players developing. I think that game proved that in many cases. Others, you know, you hope to see more, but that's kind of the the way it works. Um, but no, in general, I feel pretty good about what we saw. I still think this team has some major holes. I think it certainly has some depth issues, and that was tested even in the fourth quarter of that game against Notre Dame. So those are those are things that kind of get me to hesitate and stop. I'm getting ahead of myself and thinking, oh, my God, this team's going to be drastically better than I thought, you know, two weeks ago. But uh, I think there's reasons for optimism. Obviously, that game coming up at Wake is a huge one for them. It's crazy. But anybody and everybody that talks about this team, especially on the media side, that Wake game has been circled since the preseason of being kind of the, the swing point for them. If they're going to have a season that exceeds the 500 expectations that somebody like myself has for them, they have to win that game. If they lose that game, the concern is still, despite them having a better showing against Notre Dame than I expected or that I think most of the nation expected, the expectation is still that the schedule is so difficult on the back end that it's going to be a real task for them to do what they hope to do. And that's even with the consideration that the ACC looked pretty dreadful in week one. So with the expectations and the things, I mean, Chris, you and I had the ability to watch every single preseason practice just about, uh, which is in its entirety. And that's something that we weren't afforded previously and was immensely helpful to me. And, and I believe to you, too, would agree in kind of formulating ideas about this team. Yeah. Uh, but with the, the hindsight that we had coming out of preseason camp, what what aspect maybe surprised you or oh, let me put it this way? What was, I guess, kind of disappointed or went under your expectations and what? aspect of the game on on Sunday exceeded your expectations based on what we saw in preseason camp? Well, I already brought up the physicality part, so I'll leave that out of this discussion. I would say the disappointed Jordan Travis was a better passer in preseason than he was against Notre Dame. And I'm not trying to turn Jordan Travis into a Heisman contender or a great passer. There are passes he's never going to be effective at making in his career that a 
true passing quarterback is effective at making. But I do think he is better than we saw on Sunday evening. I think he has improved as a passer more so than we saw on Sunday evening. What exceeded my expectations beyond the physicality standpoint? Um, I, I probably would go with the what the front four did, what the front porch and the defense did. One, holding Notre Dame to so few running yards. I knew it was such a point of focus for them, but that's an incredibly impressive job that they did. And also they got after it, and they got after it from the word go. Jermaine Johnson was great in the first half. I thought Kier Thomas was really good in the second half. I thought Robert Cooper turned in a good four quarters. I thought Fabian Lovett played well. Uh, when they brought other guys down to help at the line of scrimmage there, I thought they did an effective job. Quayshawn Fuller had two plays that flashed. You know, last year we thought the D-line was going to be the strength of a team, and they ended up being a miserable mess that wasn't effective at all. It was pleasant to see that actually prove true this year. And I would I just add to add to that, yes, the defensive line was awesome. I thought the linebackers and stopping the run, DJ Lundy specifically, triggering it and taking on blockers and spilling it. And then you know, Kalen Deloach was a pretty steady tackler. He he exceeded my expectations. I was a little skeptical on what Kalen was going to do, uh, just based on, you know, we heard good things about it at, about him out of last preseason. He looked very quick and aggressive this preseason, but I want to see that translate over to a game situation. That was better than I thought, both DJ yeah. Lundy and Kalen. They Deloach. settled in a bit. They, yeah. The backers started kind of rocky, especially on those first couple drives, but they yeah. did settle in pretty well. The coverage of the tight end definitely has to improve, but that's a three-decade issue for FSU. And you're going against one of the best tight ends in yes. the country, certainly probably the best that you'll play on, on, on this schedule. So that, that's part of it, too. And Notre Dame uses the tight ends as well as anyone does in the country. Uh, let's go into quarterbacks, Chris. You mentioned Jordan Travis, and that was a – Something that we saw, oh, I know I felt it on my Twitter feed and we saw it on the message board. People were fairly aggravated at the way Jordan Travis played and, and kind of felt like we were misleading them a little bit in preseason camp. I'll say this, like Jordan threw the ball extremely well in preseason camp. And if you don't believe he's a better passer, like the, I, I'd say probably two out of his three best throws are threes that are throws that he doesn't make last season. Uh, the, the, Faye pattern to Ja'Kai Douglas in the slot was so on the money and so perfect, and that was Jordan Travis making uh, the the right check at the line of scrimmage, making the the right read uh, right off the bat there, and then delivering it to to his his wide receiver slot wide receiver for a home run. Um, that being said, one thing that we did not get to see in preseason was Jordan process pressure. I know FSU will simulate pressure, but because and Chris, you kind of alluded to this the the way practices are run now, there's not a ton of contact. Uh, there's not a ton of physicality. And so it's hard to truly show what a quarterback's going to be able to do with pressure. I thought Jordan seemed a little skittish. Part of that Notre Dame had a great game plan for how they kind of contained him in the box and brought pressure in, inside. Uh, but I don't think you disagree with this. We do need to see more from Jordan in terms of anticipation. Yeah. And he's he needs to show growth there if FSU is going to, to hit its, its ceiling of what it can be. Well, let me begin the discussion on my end with, Two thoughts. One, Notre Dame's defense is pretty damn good, and their game plan for Jordan Travis was very good. They boxed him up. They kept him contained. They wanted to keep him back there, basically force him to keep his eyes downfield and be more of a looker instead of a runner. And that's not him. That's his not his forte. His forte is backyard football, taking off, making things happen, and setting up some passes. And secondly, Jordan Travis missed many easy passes in that game that would have made him look a lot better. You know, we can go to the Jay Sean Corbin streaking down the sideline interception. Kyle Hamilton coming from the middle of the field. Exceptional play by 14 for them. Great play. You know, he needs to be a little bit quicker on that. If he's on the dot, you hit Corbin. Corbin cuts in on a safety. Who knows if Hamilton gets him and could turn into a huge chunk play or even a touchdown. 
That's one notice that you'd much rather hit than have to take back. Can't have three picks. You got to value the football. He's pretty good about that in preseason. He did not do a very good job about that against Notre Dame. Certainly, I think two of the three picks you can squarely say we're pretty much on him. The fourth down was sort of you have to force it. There it is, what it is. Um, but he could have maybe hit Cam McDonald slipping out on the back a little quick. And, there, and there's no play. guarantee that Cam makes that first down, but you got to give him a chance. I think is right. is kind of what most of the fan base feels about that. So no doubt Jordan has to play better. I think Jordan would tell you that. The coaching staff would tell you that. Everybody involved would tell you that. I. The flip side of that is everybody wants to see Mackenzie Milton, and we did see Mackenzie Milton once Jordan Travis's helmet popped off. And it was magical. It was magic. Well, you calm down over there. Don't need you getting tissues. Um, Whoa. (laughs) Kid show. um, I don't know that we see Milton in that game if Travis's helmet doesn't pop off. Watching pregame, watching Milton throughout the game, it did not credit itself to the ideas we're going to play Milton and we're going to play him a lot. And I do think this year they're going to play both a lot. I just don't know that Milton was physically or game plan wise prepared to be a major part of that game because of circumstances leading up to that game. Certainly not in the first half. He did not look like he was engaged to go on this. I shouldn't say engaged. He, he was paying he was attention. On the engaged. Yeah. I mean, physically, physically, physically he he, like yes, that's what, it, yes. Uh, let me correct myself there. Yeah. Physically. I mean, he's, he's massaging his leg with a massage gun. Uh, his, his knee brace wasn't ready to go. It's almost like at halftime they said, Hey, there's a chance we may need you to come out in the second half and do something. He was far more physically engaged. He was throwing the ball, staying warm, staying loose on the sideline. So something changed at halftime. They did not go into the game, Chris, to your point, I, I think, with with George, or with McKenzie Milton being part of the, the active game plan. Yeah, and the circumstances leading up to that game in practice, they were building everything around Jordan Travis. So you don't go in a game and suddenly abandon what you've done in preparation for a game because of – some miscues. Now I understand Mackenzie Milton's a hell of a gamer. He was very good when he came in, led him to those 10 points, continued that drive with the final 40 yards when he came in, didn't miss a beat, did a great job. And I want to see more of Mackenzie Milton personally. I want to, you know, I wouldn't complain if he got an opportunity to start, if he's up for it in the sense of being able to handle the rep count. I would love to see it because I, I think FSU is a very different team with each quarterback at the helm. But again, I go back to the belief, and this is something I know the coaching staff shares specifically the offensive staff, they're going to need both. They're going to use both, Mm -hmm. and they're going to force teams to prep for both. I mean, Kenny Dillingham flat out talked about that yesterday when he discussed that coaching is a paranoid world, that they want to force coaches to think it's going to be 60-40 with these two guys, even though some days it may be 95-5. So in the game itself, Jordan could have played much better. I wish he was a little more comfortable taking off and going, running the ball. But some of that is Notre Dame was doing a very good job countering his ability to do that, mm-hmm. kind of staying at home. And on the flip side, as a passer, there are passes that obviously he would like to have back. Some that were easy ones that would help him get completions, maybe get him more in a groove. And then some that were more shot play types, specifically the one to Corbin down the sideline, that you know if he executes it just slightly better, it turns into a big play for FSU instead of a big play for Notre Dame. And one or two other points I want to make at the quarterback position, and then we can kind of spin it forward a little bit. But one critique I saw a lot on Sunday and even the day afterwards was it was kind of two, but they're related. Is why one, why didn't McKenzie Milton start or have the chance to start? And two, why didn't Florida State go to him a little earlier? We, we talked about some of the physical limitations uh, a few minutes ago. 
I don't believe that McKenzie Milton was available enough in the preseason to formulate confidently a full game plan around, especially for a game as important as that Notre Dame season opener. Would you agree with that, Chris? Yeah, it's the reason when we did pod prior to the game, I felt wholeheartedly confident in saying I expected Jordan Travis to start. It's the reason you wrote things several days before that about it looked likely that Jordan Travis was one who was going to come out of this quarterback competition as the winner, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was clear. With being out there, you understood what was going on. You understood that it's trending in that direction, and they're going to have to formulate around them. They love Mackenzie Milton. I, I don't want people thinking that somehow Mackenzie Milton is like their number two or in the doghouse. Right? It's none of that. No. It's a matter of availability and capability that impacted the ability for him to play. And I believe going forward as the season progresses, I mean, they're going to want, Chris, you mentioned this, and let's talk about the, the two-quarterback system or, you know, hell, maybe even three. Like Chubba Purdy's probably going to get some runs sporadic, you know, here and there during the course of the season, probably more so later on in the season. But he's someone who's going to get sprinkled in there, especially if they're in you know blowout type of situations. They want to get him ready as well. And they also want to want to conserve the amount of reps McKenzie Milton's taking and I think the amount of hits that Jordan Travis is taking. Uh, that's what I'm going to say here is that there is not evidence or a ton of confidence right now that McKenzie Milton can take every single snap at quarterback during the course of a game or even a majority of them. So you're going to need to see at least two quarterbacks this season if you're Florida State and, and two of them to be effective and play off each other well the remainder of the year. So I don't know what's going to happen on Saturday against Jacksonville State. I don't know what's going to happen the following Saturday at Wake Forest in terms of, of how those quarterbacks are are kind of integrated into the game plan. But I would fully expect Jordan Travis and McKenzie Milton to play in both of these games coming up. I, I think yeah. if they're both if they're both available, they will both play. And Tuesday and Wednesday's practices and watching those, both of those guys are getting prepped for a game. Yep. Just put that in there. That yeah, I, I am interested to see. I mean, it's kind of a weird deal because Jacksonville State's one of those teams, obviously, you mark down as a W. You believe you can win without being at your full efficiency. But I am interested how much they maybe try to push McKenzie to see, or do you hesitate to do that because you do have a more important game coming up the week after and the week after where you maybe need more of a rep count from him? Or do you see here if he can do it now for that? I, that That's probably one of those discussions that he's having with the coaching staff and that the coaching staff's having internally. And I'm just – I'm interested how they approach it when Saturday rolls around. I got a, a question from a YouTube listener. B. Damp Man yes. BD. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he asked, I know you're a journalist, but did you guys get excited seeing the way they fought back in a way that momentarily takes you out of an objective media perspective? Uh, real quick, I, I'll, I'll let Chris answer this because he's – He's covered this program longer than I have. He went to Florida State. Uh, I, I think people who listen to this know my my admiration for McKenzie Milton and the UCF football program, as well as enjoying Florida State. Uh, seeing what McKenzie, one, seeing the energy that that defense played with and the atmosphere that the Dope Campbell Stadium responded with and Bobby Bowden uh, honoring him and seeing Ann there pregame, all that stuff was magical. And um, as FSU mounted its comeback, it was exciting and it was fun to see. When McKenzie Milton got in the game and started doing what he was doing, I mean, the press box, not just us, but the press box was like laughing and looking around at each other and smiling. It was you were realizing you were seeing something special in that moment that kind of magnified this whole night. That, that was indeed a really special evening. So, yeah, I mean, as a journalist, it was hard to 
to not enjoy what, what we were watching. That, that's what I would say. Heck yes, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I mean, in recent years when FSU got down 18 and the wheels felt like they were falling off, suddenly somebody threw a you know bomb on the bus and blew it up, and it was all just a bloody mess. Games didn't recover. It was over. It was a mess. It wasn't fun. It was non-competitive. I hate that. I don't enjoy that with teams I don't care about. So imagine a team I do care about. Um, watching them battle back, fight, give a damn, you know, play 60 minutes of football, force overtime, all of that. I thought it was a fantastic statement for the culture of this program it has hit a U-turn. And it's heading in the right direction. It's not quite there. It will take a little bit more time. But I think you see leadership. I think you see guys that are confident. I think I think it says a heck of a lot. Oh, recent years, guys, the minute that doubt cre- creeped into the head of a lot of players on this team, they were done. Mm-hmm. And that, that's awful to see, but you get it. They've had three different coaches and a you know, four-year span, strength and conditioning, keep sharing, all, all the factors that played into it. For once, it felt like a group of guys that had been together for a whole offseason decided we're going to fight together. And I, I love seeing that. I, I hope that's something that continues win, lose, or draw going on this year because there's going to be other tough moments. And whole preseason, he said it over and over, Mike Norvell, we're going to have tough moments. It's all about how do you respond. And that's cliche. All coaches talk about it. But it is true. If a team responds effectively in tough moments, they're going to do something in a moment where they shouldn't do it. You know, they're going to pull off the upset against a team they probably shouldn't beat, things like that. And we almost saw that on Sunday. I think that's a very positive sign for FSU. And, yes, as someone just sitting there taking it in both as the guy who's covered this program for 20 years and the guy that's been around it for 30 years, who went to the university, has an older brother that went to the university, went to games with him when he was a kid. Yeah, I love seeing it because the product we have seen for the last few years where it just, you know, games were over way too early in games, uh, that made me miserable. I don't enjoy that. I'm very happy with what I saw Sunday in that sense. Obviously, more victories don't matter at the end of the day, but I do think it's significant that this team fought. Yeah, and just as a professional, like just to say when we cover this team, when the team's winning or competitive and the product on the field is fun, that makes our lives easier. Uh, the, the people that we talk to around the program are in a better mood, so that's, that's good. You guys, the listeners, the viewers, uh, subscribers on old 24-7 are generally in a better mood. Uh, and the content that we write is gets a little bit more sub- substantive because of that. And people are more interested in it and more engaged. So yeah, it's, it's you good only, all around. You can only dissect really bad so much before you just kind of mark it down as really bad. And we've I, I, covered some really bad in recent years. I had someone at 24 seven on the national uh, side of things, Chris last year say that we do a really nice job covering a bad football program. And that, that was a nice compliment, but that's not ideally not where, we want to be, we want to be covering stuff that's fun and, and meaningful from a national level. And I know that you know, listeners do too. Uh, all right. So you mentioned the ability to come back, you know, FSU's down 18 points. I don't want to go too much into one game sample size, but I think this is something that Mike Norvell started implementing even last year when things weren't going well, even against Duke at the end of the year, that was kind of seemed like a throwaway game, but you know, FSU started allowing a lead to slip. Uh, and they were able to recover and finish that game against a Duke team that was kind of checking out, to be fair. But I think that what we're starting to see, and, and that's me going with a two-game sample size here, going to the last year and this year. Chris, I think we're starting to see this program take on Mike Norvell's personality a little bit, which is ultimately like, I think that that's what happens for college football. A coach is there long enough. Uh, the program starts being built in their vision, good or bad. And we, we've seen that the last few years, you know, when it was bad. Um it can get real bad if, if the person at the, the front of the program isn't 
leading with confidence. And one thing we've heard about Mike Norvell for a while now is that he leads from the front, that he is, and we see this in practice, that he is unrelenting with his energy. He is aggressive uh, in the way he coaches his team, but he, but he moves so smoothly into, you know, coaching key moments and then, you know, getting on someone's butt for not doing something right. Um, I thought we saw that on Sunday, man. I thought we saw this team kind of show a little Mike Norvellism. I don't know if I'm getting too poetic with it there. Well, he preaches response. We saw a response. He preaches finish. I thought they did a good job finishing despite losing. They put themselves in a position to have a chance. Um, and, yeah, it's unrelenting. I mean, heck, fast forward to this week practice, there's a certain veteran receiver that they need to be a dude for them, need to help them, and he wasn't having a good practice, and Mike Norvell was having none of it. He let him know. I Mike mean, Norvell may have told Andrew Parchment uh, with some key words, but one of them that we can say on air here was finish. He must yeah. have yelled at him 20 times in a row. To hammer he was the preaching point. at him not to be mediocre. Don't right. accept mediocrity. Mm-hmm. Good is not good enough, those yep. type of things. And it's good to see. You need and to have that. The next day, he's loving up Andrew Parchment, saying, hey, good. Yeah. He's making Parchment's sure he's effort on Wednesday was excellent in comparison yep. to Tuesday. So, yes, seed was planted in something group. Stick and carrot, uh, which um, is kind of always constant with Norvell. Coach-led teams are usually good when the team looks like the coach. Greatness comes when it's player-led. Player-led, yeah. And that's the next thing for FSU. I think there are some guys who are doing an excellent job with that currently. I would I'd throw – Love Taylor, Dylan Givens, Keyshawn Helton, Helton Jason sure. Corbin, Keir Thomas, uh, Jermaine Johnson. Those are six guys off the top of my head I would definitely put into that discussion mm-hmm. and, of guys that are – they're good about it. And they're – Mackenzie Milton's an all one too. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He yeah. has a kind of ongoing confidence that exudes from him. Um, and I think Did he's you- also helped that quarterback room find their voice as a whole. Oh, Jordan Travis is – and we'll see how Jordan responds after not having a great game against Notre Dame, but but Jordan's confidence level – and to be fair, like Jordan didn't shrink. He did not have a great game. He had three interceptions, and he goes ahead and leads him on a touchdown drive to make it – what was it, 28, 28-38? Yeah, yeah. It was, he led him to 28 points, had him driving yeah. on the one that made it 35, and, he and cramped obviously up. the field goal makes it 38, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I guess my point being, even in the face of not playing well, he still scored 28 points and was leading another drive that had potential to be a scoring drive against a defense that really doesn't give up 28 points per game. I think they just did that twice last season. I think they've only given up 38 points in total uh, three times in the last three years. So yeah, Kenny Dillingham emphatically made that point yesterday when he was speaking to us. And another point that Kenny Dillingham made, and it was in response to a question of, the rushing attack being different or how it works with each quarterback when they're in there. And his point was that some of those runs, for example, Corbin's 89 yarder, I believe it was a career long, longest run of the Mike Norvell era at FSU, by the way. Um, (laughs) That run partly comes about because of the fact that one had his claim by keeping an eye on Georgia Travis. It opens things up and they blocked it up, did a great job downfield blocking with receivers was effective. It was a great play, but his point was that like, Fans love to want to crown one guy, the guy. This is my starter. He should start. We need to play him. He should start. I don't think the staff views their quarterback situation in any shape or form as a guy. It's a both situation. I think they wholeheartedly believe they need both to be effective. And I think that's probably true. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go, and I agree with you, Chris. Um, I'm going to transition us because we talked about the quarterbacks. I'm going to transition us to going back to Norvell's personality, uh, kind of his mindset as a coach. Let's go back to the fourth and two call and then as well as the third and 17 call on defense for Adam Fuller to blitz against and they went into a screen. Um, both coaches talked about the, those 
play calls this past week. We've talked about it in our instant reaction pod, but now that we've gotten the coaches to, to delve more into it and watch film and whatnot, like let's, let's get into it. So I'm going to go into Norvell's quote on that fourth and two call uh, to remember the situation. FSU's offense was kind of sputtering. I think they'd had two, three and outs in a row. Uh, they're at Notre Dame or they're on their own side of the field. Uh, they basically do two wildcat calls in a row, signifying to the world, hey, we're probably going to go for it on fourth down. And if you watched Florida State football last year, you know that Mike Norvell is comfortable going for it on fourth down when his team is backed up to its own side of the field. Uh, and this is why. Quote, I coach games to win games. That's what we want to do. There's things that as we go into it, I'm going to have a feel for and how I want to attack what we want to do. And I'll reevaluate every decision that's made throughout the course of a game to make sure I'm putting our guys in the best position to win. I've got a lot of faith in how our guys are going to play. He continues. There was a situation where I, where we were in a very short field there defensively. Chris, yes, you can apply just for yourself for the UNC game. Thank you. Not like I'm reading on my phone right now. Focus and on. Focus. Text. You're texting me. You're texting me. But we were in a go situation, trying to continue a drive and a possession. At the end of the day, I have the utmost faith in our defense, if it doesn't work out, that they're going to stop, get a stop uh let's see okay a little bit further on there's a lot of factors to go into that but there's some times where it's going to be a 50 50 call and the one on sunday was not uh mike norvell uses analytics during the course of a game fsu subscribes to at least that i know of at least one analytics live stream where, where they're getting live data as it goes in as the game progresses of, of what to what to do or what the best call or situation is statistically um, they may even have more than one. You're trying to get more information as, as much information as they can. But in that moment, Mike Norvell is telling us that the number said, if FSU wants to win the game, you have a better chance of winning by going for it on fourth and two. And they went for it and it didn't work out. And Notre Dame goes and scores. And, and that call might ultimately like you go into overtime. And, and that's a situation that, that potentially loses you that game. If you want to boil it down to one situation, which I don't think is a good practice or, or fair to do. Uh, but macro big term, Big picture, that's going to pay off for you down the road. It will. And, and, and from a game production standpoint, from an outcome standpoint, that will pay off for you at some point down the road because you are playing probabilities that are saying this is the best decision to win a game. And I think from a culture building standpoint, that is going to help the program long term as well. Because guys know they have a coach who is playing to not be conservative. I wouldn't even say he's being aggressive in that moment because he's going with what the right numbers are to win a game. He's a coach who, who wants to win and wants to be competitive. And I think as a player, Chris, I, I think that that's something that you end up buying into and believing in down the road. Yeah, and that's the point you actually made in the instant reaction is that it's about sending the message to your team that we came here to win. It's not not getting blown out. It's we're trying to win this ball game. I didn't love the plays leading up to it. I believe it was Wildcat back-to-back, -back, if I recall correctly. Yes. Um, I didn't think they set themselves up for the fourth down situation if they were in the position where they believed they should go for it. And the fourth down play didn't go well. Uh, you know, McDonald's sliding out of backfield. He misses him. It gets forced in, turns into an interception. All that. And I don't know if all the wide receivers were in the right spot either, too. Like, it, it did not seem – you can criticize the call as much as the decision. Yeah, I, I didn't I, – I like the idea of going for it. I didn't love the execution leading up to and in the moment of going for it in the sense of play call and execution, putting yourself in a position to be successful there. But I'm all for going out there to win, especially in a game that most people don't think you're going to win. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think it sent the correct message to the team. I do think it's about the long-term plan, the long-term goal, the long-term effort mm -hmm. in putting something there. And truthfully, it's not like defense was 
shutting Notre Dame down. I don't I don't know that giving them a longer field, it would have been what, probably 70-yard field would have been an effective punt. I don't know if that drastically changes it, but Notre Dame is kind of conservative and the type of team that, you know, even if they gain 30 in that drive, they're probably still punting. So right. um, I don't know. You, you can second-guess things all day with coaching. I, I didn't hate it, but I also didn't love everything that led to the moment. And I felt that way after the game and after re-watching the game and hearing comments by him, I still feel that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you do Wildcat twice in a row, you're kind of signifying, I guess, what's coming next. Like you're saying, we're not going for the first down. On three downs, we're going for it on fourth. So Notre Dame's probably able to kind of play ahead a little bit and prepare and have something ready to go. Uh, so yeah, it's fair to critique it, but but I just I think people need to understand there is a bigger picture at play here than just that sequence of events. And yeah. I think the fan base generally does understand it. I'm just trying to spell that out for for some others who are who are being critical of of that holistically. Uh, going to the third and seventeen blitz, I think they sent six guys with Notre Dame backed up. I think they were like Notre Dame was at their own 25 or 30, somewhere around there. It's third and 17 FSU blitzes. Uh, and, and unfortunately it's right into a well-executed, very well-executed and choreographed running back screen turns into a 50 plus yard reception. Uh, one props to Kalen Deloach for hustling downfield 55 yards to make that tackle. That's culture. That's by, and that's what you want to see. But the actual play call, uh, Adam Fuller was criticized for that after the game. And here's what Adam Fuller said, quote, great play call or a bad call against a good call, whatever you want to say. I I do love Adam Fuller. He's very, very transparent. Uh, We are always going to try to be aggressive. A lot of things go into good calls. A lot of things go into bad calls. Like what do they do in those down and distance at the place on the field? What do they do historically versus now there's momentum in the game? All those things go into those calls. We could have executed it better, but at the end of the day, that is on me. Listen, the defense played hard. I, they were in position for the most part in the game. Unfortunately, they got burned on a few chunk plays, and that's a big difference in the game. Last year, we're being critical of Adam Fuller for playing off coverage and not being aggressive enough at times on passing downs. As a I, fan feel like, I feel like you're trying to remind me of the NC State game last year and bring up bad memories. I'm just saying, like, if you want, and, and they made the concerted effort to be aggressive, to play a lot of man coverage, and, you know, he said even like some of the 50-50 balls they lost downfield, uh, that's the cost of doing business when you're playing aggressive. If you want an aggressive defense, there are times where that's going to work against you. There are a couple examples of that. Ultimately, like, yeah, maybe, maybe, well, definitely in hindsight, play safer and more conservative in that situation. But again, we're talking about something more holistically. If you want to be an aggressive blitzing defense, it's going to show different fronts and and have linebackers coming from different angles. If you, that's what you want to be. And I think most fan base would like want that defense to be aggressive that's something that i think you kind of have to live with sometimes it just sucks that it happened in that situation and it wasn't just a first down it gave up it was you know 55 yards and change field field position the other guy calling plays gets paid too and sometimes you just tip the cap and say good job yeah now to me that's what happened there i mean they were over aggressive yes but they wanted to be fsu went out there intentionally to try to get a huge play defensively a huge stop flip the field you know, completely flip momentum, and instead Notre Dame pulled off a hell of a good screenplay. That's why screens exist. He throws screens into aggressiveness. I mean, heck, we thought FSU was going to screen the heck out of Notre Dame because of Notre Dame being aggressive. And they tried to early on and just didn't work out yeah. very well. Notre Dame yeah, Notre Dame, out well. That, that's a good point. Notre Dame extremely disrupted FSU's offensive attack mm-hmm. and their 
plan in those first two drives of that game. Yes. Yeah. And it didn't help FSU was backed up, had self-inflicted penalties, but yeah, all that fact goes into the outcome of the game. So yeah. I mean, listen, guys, a year ago we're we're talking about big picture things like in the offensive line block. Do you have a quarterback who can throw the football? Um, I guess people are still criticizing that, but I don't feel anywhere near as concerned about that now as I did a, a year ago. Uh can the defense tackle? Uh can you get a pass rush? We're now narrowing it down to like four or five plays that happen in a game that are that are pissing people off. That ultimately is progress. Like you're now dialing down to like smaller minutiae against a good team, a top 10 team. So that's progress. I've seen, I've, just to add to that point, I've seen great FSU teams get screened in moments like that before. Yeah. Miami, Clemson, and Doak both have done it to them. Miami down there back in the early 2000s pulled something off, off like that. Mm-hmm. It's what you do. When the other team dials up aggression, you hit a screen. And if you hit it and there's a lot of real estate, that's what happens. I, I had no issue with it. I thought it was great that Fuller owned it. That's on me. Mm-hmm. I think that's excellent on his part. I think that's the right message to send. Mm-hmm. I think in game it was the right message to send of being aggressive in the moment. I understand the idea of well, you just drop back and 17 yards is tough to get. I completely get that. That's the hindsight view of it. I'm fine with it. And I don't really disagree with that idea either. But I mm-hmm. didn't bug me. I FSU didn't lose this game because of a singular play. They lost the game because of a collection of about a dozen plays on both sides of the ball where they should should have done things better, could have been more effective, could have executed better. The fourth and two is an example of that. Third and 17 is an example of that. But there's 10 more examples of that, too. And mm-hmm. So, like, for me, I, it doesn't all hinge on that moment or that play. After – I remember this in high school. After a close loss we had, my, my coach said that that Monday practice, when we were doing film, he, in the beginning of it, he said there are 12 to 15 plays that define this game. Raise your hand if you were a part of them. And, like, some guys raised their hands. Others didn't. And he said, no, every one of you should be raising your hand because ultimately you don't know what those plays are during the course of a game. When you're in a battle, when you're in a close, well-fought game, you don't know how something small is going to lead to something bigger. Uh, That's part of the growth for this program. Like even in that third and 17 moment, Chris, yeah, you blitz into a a screen and and that sucks and that's going to portend to bad things. But, you know, as you get more experience and you learn more, and take those moments and build on them later. Like maybe a linebacker peels off or a defense alignment peels off and realizes, Hey, I'm getting back here way too quickly and you can cut it off. And maybe instead of a 50 yard gain, it's 20 yards or something like that. Notre Dame still on its side of the field. So big picture growing, building the program. Uh, no, give, no gives at no gifts. Who's it? Uh, the, the creator of the Chris knee machine gun gif. Uh, asked what specifically in the Notre Dame game was the most pleasant surprise for you. We talked about compared to preseason and, and uh, you know, preseason expectations, but going into that game, the way they executed, I do want to shout out this position group, Chris, the offensive line run blocking, and then just the execution by the running backs to be patient, to hit holes. We knew they, they could read holes well, both Jay Sean Corbin and uh, Trey Sean Ward, but the speed and the burst they showed, especially Jay Sean Corbin to apparently hit 20 miles an hour and then some, on the GPS tracker on that 89 yard touchdown. Uh, and then the wide receivers blocking the perimeter. To me, that was a pleasant surprise. I, I thought we thought that was going to be something FSU was going to try to do. That is going to be their identity in the course of the season to run the ball effectively, but to see that manifest itself so productively and game one of the year against a, a normally stout run defense. That's a pleasant surprise. Yeah. 264. I think it was on the ground for FSU, which is Big pretty outstanding. I, I loved watching Corbin streak down running like he did. I knew he was healthy watching him in the preseason and talking to him a couple times in the preseason. 
he made it clear that he felt the best he had felt in his college career, but it was great to see it in action. Um, you know, I didn't think that dude had a 90 yard run in him against an effective defense like a Notre Dame. I think his longest run before that was like in the thirties, I think 34, 35, somewhere in that ballpark. So, I mean, that was a drastic departure from what we've seen in, of him in the past. I, I, to answer the question that he posed, I would say effort. I thought the effort across the board on both sides of the ball by players was excellent. And I thought it was consistent. Now there were missed assignments. There were missed tackles. There's things I got to clean up and things I got to do better, but effort goes a hell of a long way in a football game. If you make an effort on every play, good things tend to happen. Um, and I thought, you know, after watching a football team over the last few years where we learned words like loafing, I thought it was great to see that. Chris, did you uh, realize? Oh, I'm not giving him a pass. Marcus Lee's, I can't, Marcus Lee says, I can't believe Chris is getting one a of the pass. worst defensive play calls in the history did, of football. Okay. Did one you, of did us you, is going a bit extreme here and it's not me. I'm not no, did you know pass. you had millions of, of, of snaps that you could have seen in the history of college football and you saw one of the worst ones in person? I'm not giving him a pass. He got beat. He owned that he got beat. What I'm saying is it's not the reason they lost the game. I agree. I cannot snap. Can either of you snap or do you have eligibility remaining? Newton? No, I'm actually a uh, accomplished long snapper. Now it's a bit of a softball, but it will get there. Um, I don't know if that's going to help when someone's lined up right over in front of me, 300 pounds and knocking me on my butt. So uh, listen, the snapping has to get better. It's something that we talked about in preseason camp with Maurice Smith not being 100% and still kind of being a game time decision for Jacksonville State. I'm going to imagine you probably give him as much rest as possible for the game that really matters against Wake Forest. Uh, Baby on Johnson's going to have to get better at snapping. He's got to be. Or you got to find someone else on the roster who can. I know they do some cross training, and I think Darius Washington has done a little bit of that. He's talked about it. He did some his freshman year uh, in practice, but not really a, a, a natural snapper. I don't know. That's just something you're going to have to figure out. Let's see here. Chris, you still salty that someone? I'm not salty. I I just, I think that's a misinterpretation of my comments. I'm not giving them a pass. <laughs> I like this because usually the, I'm the one who gets uh, attacked on stuff. This makes me feel better. Oh, there's a good question here that I want to transition to something. Bah, 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 bah. Oh, here we go. Jared. Jared's a big supporter of us. Who are you looking to step up in week two mine would be parchment you know what jared that's a good place to start andrew parchment being engaged and having himself a big game would be very very nice i'd go with the receivers as a whole because of some of jordan's struggles in that first game the receivers weren't really involved near as much as i had hoped they would be we saw some good stuff from malik mcclain darian williamson but i think we're going to see a little bit more from the receivers and against an opponent such as jacksonville state all right, Newton Noel wants to ask, and, and let's use this as a way to transition to Jacksonville State. I think we've we've done what we can do on Notre Dame game, and, and that was a lot of fun, and, and let's see what it leads to now in the future. Newton Noel asks, what things do you want to see versus Jacksonville State that will show improvement? So uh, I got a couple off the top of my head. We talked about snapping. That was going to be one of them. All right, number two, penalties, uh, the, the false starts, the self-inflicted ones, like that, that needs to get shut down. That needs to get to shut down pretty quickly. Number three, uh, win first down much more effectively on offense. I think they averaged two and a half yards per play on first down, about yeah. eight or nine, second and third. Kenny Dillingham has talked about that a lot. Like that's something they need to do. Show that you can do that. Show what your offense can be when it's on schedule. And then four, uh, DBs need to play the football better. That's been a, a point of emphasis at practice this week. This is a good week to 
to build some confidence up if you're Travis J, Jarvis Brownlee, guys who were in position to make plays and just couldn't make them. Uh, go ahead and show that you can play the football, get some interceptions, get a little bit of, of juice and confidence going because you're going to need to win some of those passes in close games later in the year. So those would be four that I would have that you can effectively do. Yeah, I'll add to that. I agree with those. Uh, on the fourth one, I think eliminating chunk plays at the level you allow them to Notre Dame, especially in the passing attack, is a necessity, especially against a lesser opponent and lesser players. I would add to that offensively, I want to see him be crisper. Um, I want to see Jordan Travis, if he's playing quarterback, be a little more decisive with the decision to go north-south. I don't need to see the big spin backwards. And I know he's backyards football, but I don't need to see that. That That's a bad – that's an E.J. Manuel trait. I love E.J., <laughs> but he used to do that. And it's not a good thing because it turns a short loss into a big loss. I need to see him be a little more north-south in decisions at times and just go. Like, uh, I guess – I. I'm going to stick with my belief that Notre Dame did a good job of corking that up to some degree, mm-hmm. but I don't need to see that become a trend of him kind of evading backwards like that. Um, it so it did re- real quick, Chris, it did remind me, and correct me if, if you disagree with this, but the way they used Jordan Travis and the way he played, it reminded me of sometimes a freshman and, and Jordan was extensively, he was well, a red shirt. Was he a red shirt freshman last year or a red shirt sophomore last year? Eligibility doesn't exist. I, that's why I'm having such a hard time with it. <laughs> um, he was a redshirt freshman last year because uh, he redshirted his first year. No, no, he would have been a redshirt sophomore. Oh, my God. Going off the rails. He's a redshirt <laughs> sophomore again, though, which is why this is so confusing to me. But it reminded me sometimes when a, a true freshman has a really efficient season as a quarterback because the offense is scaled down a little bit and you're playing to what he can do well and eliminating a lot of, of what you don't think you can do well. And then that next year, that sophomore slump, uh, which is you know, kind, kind of cliche, but not, not kind of, it is a cliche. But then the next year you put more on them and there's a bit of a regression statistically before a breakout again in, in year three. That's what game one against Notre Dame reminded me of where, where they were trying to do more things with the way he was throwing the ball and where he was putting it than they had done in the past. And it seemed like things were still moving a little fast for him. So I wouldn't be surprised if you just scale it back just a little bit and say, okay, this is what we can do effectively. We can still do more than we could do last year for sure because he's throwing the ball better. He has more confidence as a passer but maybe we tried to bite off a little bit more than we could chew. Uh, chew Some of that goes back want. to your comments about first down success. And Jordan's a part of having first down success, but the entire offense is better first downs will put him in better situations to have success. Okay. Hey, it's all good. Ask, does Casey get the start or does Travis get a chance to tune it up before the Wake Forest game? So against Jacksonville State, I don't know who's going to start. I think there's a pretty good chance as long as no one – pulls a nail here or something like that on Thursday's practice. Uh, I think there's a good chance we see both pretty equally. I, I will say that I think you'll see a pretty equal amount of series for each quarterback to kind of let them both get into a groove and a rhythm before Wake Forest. Uh, what do you yeah. think, Chris? The most intriguing storyline to me is how much do we see Milton? How much do they use them? Do they start them and push them? You know, do you still in a regard they they know what Mackenzie Milton can do as a player. They're fully confident in his ability, and the whole gamer idea is very true with him. But I think it's more a matter of body response. If we play him X amount of reps, how does his body respond to that? Um, they said the response to him getting the amount of reps he got against Notre Dame was positive. That's a good sign. By Orsonone from Jared. Chubba Purdy will see the field this weekend, so I think that would mean there is a – somewhat of a blowout right which is what we're hoping for against Jacksonville State I'm gonna buy it I think we see Chubba yeah I think a series or two at the end of the game is a distinct possibility hopefully last year Jacksonville State made it a little uncomfortable at times hopefully we don't have a repeat of that I don't think this Jacksonville State team 
especially based off their performance against UAB and their opener in the Crampton Bowl, I don't think they're quite that caliber of last year's. Real quick, I want to give a shout out to Tony in New York City. Uh, my cousin was doing business with Tony last week, and Tony was wearing an FSU hat. And he says, hey, my, my cousin covers FSU. And he goes, Brennan Sinone from On the Bench. So shout out, Tony, for <laughs> listening to us all the way from New York City. You see that, Chris? We made it. We're in the, we're in the, we're in the limelights of New York City now. Uh, all right, real quick, man, let's go into Jacksonville State. I don't think there's a line on this. I looked it up a few minutes ago. I don't think there's a, a betting line because it's Jacksonville State, and they just lost – 31 nothing to UAB. You did the 247 on Jacksonville State, just like a two or three minutes. Do your, your Chris Knee computer thing, please, where you can uh where you, where you fire off what to look for, some of the key players on Jacksonville State's roster. And for the people listening, the game's at 8 p.m. on Saturday evening. So another late game for us. On the ACC network. For those of you betting on this game, you are truly a degenerate. Um, <laughs> so Jacksonville State's 0-1, usually Ohio Valley Conference. They actually, I think, won nine of 18 championships in that conference in their time. They have now left the OVC there in what's called the AQ7, which if you read the 247, I explain what that is. But basically, it's seven teams that are moving up to different conferences. They're together to be automatic qualifiers in the FCS playoffs this year. So that's why it's called AQ7. Um, their own one, as Sinone referenced, they lost 31 nothing to UAB at the Crampton Bowl on September 1st. That's... In Alabama, John Grass, same head coach that we saw last year, 68 and 22 in his eight seasons there at JSU. Very, very good coach. Uh, he's had an immense amount of success with them. They're, they're a very good FCS program. FSU 2 and 1 all time against them. That one loss, if anybody remembers it, please get in the comment section, 1947, 7 to nothing. That had to be a pretty putrid game. Uh, FSU in 09, 19 to 9, and FSU in 2041 to 24. Um, as I said, J- JSU last year was actually in the FCS National Quarterfinals. That was back in May because they played that spring season. Against UAB, they gave up 517 on defense, which they're usually a pretty solid run defense team. So that's a bit of a surprise. That was the most allowed by them since giving up 520 to Youngstown State in 2016. Uh, UAB killed them in the air, 370 through the year, 147 on the ground. And also, JSU's offense just never got off the ground going. They only had 156 total yards, 70 rushing, 86 passing. Quarterback Zarek Cooper, former Clemson quarterback transfer there. Same guy we saw. Or actually, I don't – did he play last year? I'm trying to remember. He got banged up last year. I think he – yeah, he played against FSU. He got banged up against FIU. He's got 8,400 career yards of offense at JSU. He's been there forever. He's thrown for almost 7,600 yards. Um, I think he needs about 100 yards to be the all-time passing leader there. Pretty efficient guy. They offensively, the description used this week, and it's true, a lot of eye candy. There's going to be movement. There's going to be guys, you know, if you don't follow them, they're going to shoot them out of the backfield and try to wheel route you and stuff like that. They're going to do some of that. Their running game so far this year hasn't launched. Their best receiver in that first game was a redshirt freshman, P.J. Wells. He's six foot three, 190. He had a 24-yard reception, 3 for 42 in that game. Defensively, familiar name for FSU fans that followed the transfer portal. D.J. Coleman, talented defensive end. He's somebody that actually was jumping in the portal at one point. FSU was going to be a major player. In 37 games, he has 133 tackles, 26 and a half tackles for loss, 14 sacks. So very talented guy up front. And another guy on their defense who I think definitely could make the jump from the FCS level to P5 is Nicario Harper. He's their safety. He's up for the Buck Buchanan Award, same thing that Coleman's up for. That's essentially the best defensive player at the FCS level. He's a talented six foot one, 205 pound safety back there, can do some stuff. So, yeah, 
they'll do that. And then they have an offensive lineman, Tylen Grable, another kid. He's a preseason All-American at that level, 6'7", 290 pounds, left tackle, redshirt sophomore. He's the kind of kid that if you're looking at future transfer-type candidates at this level, I think he'll be in that discussion. But, you know, it's tough to judge a team off one game, but they were pretty dreadful against UAB. That is not traditionally what they have been over the last, you know, seven, eight years with grass in charge. So I think it will be interesting to see how they respond. But I don't think offensively, unless you let Cooper run wild and kind of create a lot by himself, I don't think offensively they got enough weapons to kind of keep up. Uh, real quick, I, I'm trying to think of which one I want to go to first. Okay, real quick, we've had a couple of different people ask about Emma Rice's status moving forward and Thomas Schrader's. Uh, we said a, about two weeks ago that we thought Emma Rice would be someone who could potentially start getting ready to see the field like maybe a month into the season. I think that's still probably a, a pretty – realistic timeline give or take a, a week or two but i think it's someone who's trending to to get there but he just has to get back in game shape and, and get more added onto his workload ramping up a bit every yeah. day it seems like he's trying to do a little bit more he's certainly engaged it's more a matter of seeing him plant cut and do those things on that leg yeah uh, for thomas and- Schrader, i i i'm skeptical that we see him this season if so it won't be until the back half of the year yeah, he's still present at practices, so he is still, in that sense, engaged with the team. But it's very much him on the side doing his own stuff, rehabbing. And he doesn't look like a guy who's real close. Like, love Taylor for the week, 10 days leading up to when he truly got back to practicing with this team. He was doing stuff that led led you to believe he's very close to getting back to engaging, getting in contact. Schrader hasn't shown any of those signs yet. Hey, it's all good, asks Byer Sinone. Corbin goes for 200 yards against the Gamecocks this Saturday. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday when we were talking to Kenny Dillingham and the offensive guys. I don't think he'll go for 200 because of the fact that they're going to use the three backs. I think it limits his ability to have the at-bats to get to that number. I do think they can rush for a hell of a lot. But as I said, JSU, traditionally their strength defensively is stopping the run. UAB eviscerated them through the air. So it'll be interesting to see what FSU does and how that plays out. Okay, so what would make you – so we're looking at this Jacksonville State game as kind of a tune-up as a way to – get right after a really physical game against Notre Dame on a short week. And then you have a absolutely critical ACC opener against Wake Forest the following week. So what would make you feel good about FSU's chances against Wake Forest and then Louisville and the rest of this first half of schedule, Chris, based on what you see Saturday against Jacksonville State? What are you looking for? More so just start sharper, crisper. Um, Offensive efficiency improves, namely in the passing game. Stay healthy. That's obviously crucial, especially at some positions like the offensive line. And then defensively, I just I want to see don't allow JSU to be busting off chunk plays against. Mm-hmm. They're not the kind of offense that warrants chunk plays. So, you know, Notre Dame kind of took what they want through the air against FSU in the sense of chunk plays. I don't want to see that continue. I want to see FSU win one-on-ones, win those kind of battles. It's essential that FSU is a better one-on-one team on both sides of the ball this year. That's something that We've harped on all offseason. Obviously, in the first game, truthfully, it was something that came more true on the defensive side of all than the offensive side of all because of the fact that, you know, Travis Jay had two hit on him. There were some other instances, too. I would add to that, and we talked about some of the smaller things that you can realistically clean up in, in the span of a, of a week. Uh, I would love it, and I would feel really, really good, and this would maybe start making me think, okay, between five and six wins and change it to six or seven. Uh, on the season outlook if your intensity level on defense 
gets anywhere close to what it was against Notre Dame. I understand the atmosphere, the opponent, all of that made it very easy to get up for that game against Notre Dame. I'm not expecting you to hit the same. You know, if that was 100% intensity. I'm not expecting you to hit 100% on Saturday here. But if you get up to 90%, if the defensive line can again set the tone, if the linebackers can again be physical, if the defensive, you know, the safeties, the defensive backs like Jarvis Brownlee, uh, Sidney Williams at safety yeah, are coming downhill and being thumpers and being engaged and being aggressive again. I think that gets me really excited for what the defense, because that, mean, that means your defense is going to carry every single week. Self-motivation. It, mm-hmm, it may not always be pretty, but that means they're buying into Adam Fuller. It means he's getting them to be engaged. If they come out and they look lackluster and you know they're allowing chunk plays, like you said, or they're allowing sustained drives like they did at times last year against Jacksonville State, uh, then I get a little concerned about, about the, the upcoming weeks. Are you going to be a team that's kind of more of a front runner or are you going to be a team that is self-motivated? That's what I would like to see on Saturday. Do you have a prediction, Christopher? Uh, I don't know if this is one I'll definitely put on paper, but I'm feeling like a 45-10. Ah, I, I was going to see 42-10. Ah, yeah, I, I think 45-10 would be a good showing in the sense of you did what you need to do defensively and the offense got a little more efficient and busted some things. All righty. So this has been our Notre Dame extra recap episode along with a little bit of Jacksonville State preview. For Christopher Nee, I'm Brendan Sinone. We'll hit the instant reaction on Saturday evening, probably Sunday morning, like we hours in the morning with Josh Newberg. And we'll get back to our regular podcast schedule next week with FSU having a normal schedule. So thank you to everyone for listening, for watching, for subscribing, both to our uh, our podcast on the bench, on iTunes, Google Podcasts. I guess it's Apple Podcasts now, Spotify, whatever. And for, for doing so here, uh, YouTube as well. We are almost up to 1,000 subscribers. Tell your friends. Let them know. We're doing this pretty regularly now. You can see our beautiful faces fairly often. Um, so subscribe to YouTube. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you guys in a day or two. Bye.